Good morning, One Chapel. I am so glad that you're joining us today for worship and the scriptures. As you know, we've been doing our outdoor services for the last several weeks, but I'm so thrilled that you're here online because we've been having great attendance outdoors, but we've also been having great attendance online. And so I'm so thrilled you're here and we're sharing together. You know, we're in 21 days of prayer, so many great things going on. I want everybody to join in because this is a season where we're resetting as a church. We're reshaping. I think Jesus is doing something in our hearts and in our community and really in our culture in America. And so I think we need to pray. I think we need to lean into Jesus. And if you want to join us in fasting and prayer, uh, each day we're doing a Facebook Live at 7 a.m. I thank you, so many of you who've joined me at that uh, during that time. But you can join any time during the day. And if you want resources about how to fast and how to get involved, go to onechapel.com slash prayer. Uh, and Austin, we went to the new campus and we prayer walked yesterday in the neighborhoods and we're so excited about what is to come. And so uh, everybody get involved, everybody jump in and let's do something profound together as we seek God for his way. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you that as we take it in, it shines the light of your Holy Spirit in every dark place. And so, Lord, we need your word to transform us and we need your life to flow through us. And so we open up our hearts, we open up our minds, and we ask you to lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you may know, we've been on this series called The Jesus Way, and it's based out of John 14, 6, where Jesus answered and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you look at this verse, what you'll see is three words, the way, the truth, and the life. And these words are connected. They cannot be pulled apart. There's no way you can just proclaim the Jesus truth without understanding the way that Jesus did it. Because you got to take the Jesus way and organically combine it with the Jesus truth. And that's how you end up living in the Jesus life. And so we're studying the way of Jesus. The truth is kind of the thing that gets all the press, but we're drilling down on the ways of Jesus. And we're looking at all the ways in the gospels that Jesus is the way. And so we're gonna begin here in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. We looked at this passage last week. Enter by the narrow gate is what Jesus said, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. I want you to just notice that. Difficult is the way. Sometimes this is really hard. Whether you like it or not, you and I, we have to choose a way to go. And I was thinking about this, and I don't know, I don't know if you remember um, what it was like to choose 
classes in high school or college. I, my kids are, are doing that right now as uh, our daughter went back to college and as my youngest boys are going to high school. It's like, it's like the agony, the choices, and what should I choose and what should I make happen? It's hard. I don't know if you remember, if you're married, asking somebody out on a date and how threatening that was, how difficult, how hard that was. Some of you are still living through it, and I pray for you. I encourage you, hang in there. Be bold. Be strong. You remember thinking about who you should marry and choosing someone, choosing a person to marry. These are difficult things, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes if you choose a way to go in life, it's not always about the right path. Sometimes it's just about avoiding the wrong one. Choosing a way is scary. But Jesus gives us insight into choosing the right way to go. And he, he does this especially when he faces the three temptations by the devil in Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11. And that's where we're going to begin to read today. We're going to read this story. So I want you to join me. Matthew 4, 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. This is a phenomenal story and so visual in the three temptations that the devil brings to Jesus. And that word tempted is the Greek word parazo. And what that means is this the same as in Genesis 22 when God brought Abraham to the time of testing on Mount Moriah. And so there's a, there's a test that Jesus is going through. And apparently what that means is there are wrong ways to be on the way of the Lord. Which is why we have to pay close attention to the way that we're going. The way that we're on the way, as we talked about last Sunday. The way of the Lord, it's not an option just to, just to go. Jesus had to be tested. He was tempted by the devil himself and so we have to face those things as well. Which is why I wonder if these past six months as we've faced the pandemic and so many other challenges that it's been a test of sorts. A test to expose the way we've been following Jesus. Now when you look at these three temptations that Jesus experienced, you see who Jesus was and what he was going to do who he was and what he was going to do wasn't in question. But how Jesus would go about the messianic 
work that God had called him to, that's what was in question. The, this comprehensive reconciliation of all things that Jesus, this, this salvation that Jesus was going to redeem the planet and all people of the world. This is this how that Jesus was going to do it is what is in play. It's what the tempter wanted to look at closely. Because in the testing and in the tempting of Jesus, I want you to know this, that the devil doesn't suggest that Jesus renounce his calling uh, or turn back to something simpler or tempt Jesus to avoid responsibility or challenge his validity of baptism, which he had just come from when he was sent into the desert. The tempter didn't throw doubt about the voice that had come from heaven at his baptism. No, the devil is content to leave such matters of ends. In other words, the goal, the purpose, the grand work of salvation, he's content to leave all of that uncontested. But where the devil focuses his tempting is exclusively in the ways and the means that Jesus would try to accomplish that end. I think that's so interesting. I think it's so challenging for us to think about it. If, if the devil was intent on messing up the ways of Jesus, then you and I have to be sure, we, we have to be convinced, don't you think, that he will be intent on messing up the ways that we follow Jesus? The ways that keep us from following the Jesus way, he will be intent on those things, which is why I think the whole pandemic and, and the struggle we've been in may be actually a gift to you and to me as we've gone through it. Because I want you to think about the fact that once you said yes to Jesus, yes to following him, you now open the door to the Spirit of God leading you and by necessity, you have, to, you have to be led. God will lead you from time to time into these desert situations where these ways that you've been living your life might be tested, where these ways that you've been formed by family or friends or culture, where these ways that you've been trying to follow Jesus are then tested just like they were with Jesus. Now let's, let's go to that first temptation presented to Jesus in Matthew 4, 3. Look at it again. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, this is such an interesting temptation. The first temptation is stones being turned to bread. And this is so interesting because I've been to the place where Jesus was tempted in that wilderness. I've stood up there where that desert is, and it is barren. It is full of rocks. There is nothing there except for rocks, rocks and rocks everywhere. And Jesus has been there for 40 days, and the Bible says he's hungry. Uh, yeah. And so the devil comes to him and says, you could turn those stones into bread. And the devil tempts him, tempts him to turn these stones into Beautiful, freshly baked, sweet smelling. Everything smells good when you're fasting. Smelling bread. 
he tempts Jesus with this need that he has. And on the surface, I mean, hey, what's wrong with that? Like, he's hungry and he's been fasting for 40 days. I mean, isn't that enough? I mean, come on, you know, 40 days, you can eat some bread. Here's the thing, the essence, and I want you to follow me here, the essence of this temptation is that the devil wants the Jesus way to be all about doing good so that a need can be met. That's what is happening here. And Jesus can begin this, his, this way of ministry. He's about to launch into his public ministry. He can begin this way by providing himself with a good meal to meet his need. He can turn off, turn off all this fasting and he can just, he can have his way. He can turn the stuff of creation into a commodity to do something good with it. Because it's good to feed people when they're hungry. And Jesus needed it. This is what the devil was tempting Jesus with. Choose a career of doing good. Be launched into your ministry, meeting people's needs, fulfilling them, giving them self-esteem, satisfying their hungers, whether physical, emotional, or mental. And listen, everybody, the devil wants us to do the same thing. To go ahead and follow Jesus, but then to use Jesus to fulfill needs. First, our own needs. And then the needs of all the hungry people around us. And to be need-focused. In other words, it's the temptation to deal with myself and with others first and foremost as consumers. As people who consume things. To, de to define life in consumer terms. In terms of needs. In terms of everything that's going on inside of us. And then devise plans and programs and situations to accomplish them in, in Jesus' name. This is a very, very difficult thing to see for some of us. Because don't misunderstand what's going on here. I mean, I mean, there are plenty of needs in this world, and, and these needs need tending to. Uh, so much of true gospel work is giving ourselves to alleviating hunger and poverty. So much of the gospel work is giving ourselves to, to, to the working for justice that we are required to do, to get involved with, to healing the sick, to teaching what needs to be known, protecting the weak, caring for the land. These are, these are God ideas. All that, all of that, all of that is pure and authentic gospel work. But check out what Jesus said in Luke 6, and listen carefully here. Luke 6, verse 32 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. Jesus is kind of saying, this isn't, this isn't that big of a deal. Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But, and then he gets to it, he says, love your enemies. 
do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is, the, he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And then this verse, verse 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And so meeting needs is part of the pure and authentic gospel work that God has called each of us to, for sure. But the temptation is to reduce people, ourselves and others, to self-defined needs. I define what I need. Or culture-defined needs. In other words, everything around us defines what we need, which always in the long run ends up being sin-defined needs. And oh, by the way, use Jesus to do that. That's the temptation. When you think about it, the American economy is defined primarily in terms of meeting needs. Like, like we're better at it probably than any society in history. But meeting needs has not made us as a people really any better. Some of our critics even say that we as Americans are the most selfish and self-centered and self-deceived people who've ever lived. And they might be right. And for all of our ability to meet needs, we have an astonishing capacity for not noticing the needs of the people we don't like. Our enemies. Or the needs of people who will overly inconvenience us. Listen, everybody, Jesus was active in meeting needs all of his life. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He means for us to be similarly active. But the way he lived was not reduced to meeting needs and doing good. That was not, that was not what everything boiled down to. It was so much bigger than that. It was so much greater than that. Now, the contemporary antithesis of Jesus in his time, during the, the time that Jesus walked the earth, was a man named Caiaphas. If you know anything about Caiaphas, then just the mention of his name will trigger an avalanche of negative associations, religion as privilege, religion as exploitation, religion as a rich man's club, a group of wealthy insiders, a religion as a commodity, religion as oppression. Now, in case you quite, can't quite place Caiaphas in your mind, let me jog your memory. Look at this in Matthew 26. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, as you read this chapter, you, you see Judas gets involved and he makes a deal with the chief priests and, and he, and he uh, proposes to offer Jesus to them so they can arrest him. And so there's a whole bunch of that in this passage. And then you get down to verse 57 and it says, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance <clears throat> to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. 
Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council <clears throat> sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent and the high priest answered him and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? See, Caiaphas was the high priest in Judea. He was a Sadducee. He was affluent and aristocratic. He was an, he's really interested. He'd climbed a long way to make it big by associating with important people and government and culture. And by the time Caiaphas became the high priest in AD 18, there was little concern for God among the tightly knit Jerusalem Sadducean priesthood. So they're not serving God as they were taught. They were thoroughly Hellenized by Greek philosophy and culture. And they'd become really cozy with the Romans and they were wealthy and powerful and their wealth came from where? From the temple. Their wealth came from the temple. They, they ran the temple. They had a monopoly on the temple sacrifices and, and, they, and the temple taxes. And that's how they made money. The Romans let them do it because they depended on the Sadducees to keep the peace in this very violent and divisive time. So Caiaphas must have been better at it, what he did, better at climbing that ladder than most. And so he was given prominence and he ascended to the role of high priest. He was given that job by Herod, who was the king of Judea. And, and he, was, he was the high priest for 18 years and he held on to it. But you have to see that the way of Caiaphas, every Jewish person in Judea would have been completely familiar with his process and his role and his attempt to ascend in the powerful priestly order. Jesus needed to make sure that his followers didn't misunderstand what was involved in following him. Because following Jesus is not a path to privilege. Following Jesus is not a way to get what you want. Following Jesus is not the inside track to a higher standard of living. That's not what this is. In both, now listen, in both Ju Judaism and the church, there have always been a lot of people who have expect everything to turn out wonderfully in their lives when they commit themselves to God's ways. In other words, there's this expectation that if we worship God faithfully, 
that somehow if we study our Bibles and we witness to our friends and we give generously, then everything will turn out great all the time. That we'll be blessed with everything we want and need and nothing will go wrong in our lives. Of course, after all, isn't our life supposed to be better? Isn't our life supposed to be better if we follow Jesus? Yes, but not in the Caiaphas way. There's something called the Jesus way that is contrasted here in the Gospels. Instead of trying to get to the top, Jesus begins to go to the bottom and serving. When you see Jesus, what he says about his journey and what he says to his followers about how they must follow him, it is a life of self-denial. Matthew 16 makes it clear in verse 24 and 25. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is life to be found. Make no mistake. But it does not come without choosing a difficult way. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He wants you to have life. He wants you to have peace. He is going to bless you. But here's, here's the truth. In this world, you will have trouble. There is no way around it. And sometimes we forget that in our society. And we have to understand that Jesus said, Something right after it, he said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's Jesus who overcomes the world. And so the Jesus way is something that we enter into because he's overcome, and then he begins to show us how to overcome. And it's not the way that we like to think. See, Jesus never promised us that if we follow him, then we'll be... Well, I'll have a life without problems. He never said that. Jesus never promised if we follow him, then we'll be famous and wealthy, which is what we're all kind of searching for on social media and on YouTube. That, that's the consumer temptation, though. That's what the devil waves in front of our faces. And consumerism, listen, listen, friends, consumerism is all around us. Everything is built on marketing to our needs all around us. It's happening in our handheld device-wielding, Google-searching, Amazon-delivering, vegetarian menu-ordering, 700 kinds of toilet paper, shopping, Instagram, posting, perfect world that we're living in. This is a challenge for us. Unintentionally or intentionally, we start looking at God as the great Santa Claus in the sky, as our own great cosmic butler who delivers life on a platter for us, whatever we want and whatever we need. And ultimately, we then start projecting the same mentality onto the church, onto this church experience. We look at the church to meet our spiritual needs, to look and act like what we want it to. We, 
We look to the church to sing the songs that I like. We look to the church to sing the, preach the sermons that I like. We look to the, to the church to provide the ministries that I like. And if that church doesn't do it my way, then I just move on down the road to the next church that will suit me, that'll provide what I'm looking for. See, the consumer temptation has overtaken the American church, the American way of following Jesus. We've actually merged them. Ultimately, we've been saying yes to the very temptation that Jesus said no to. We've made consumerism the way that we follow Jesus. Listen, everybody, it's so easy to mix other ways into the Jesus way. But every time that we embrace ways other than the ways of Jesus, that we try to manipulate people or events in ways that shortcut personal relationships, every time we do that, we're doing the devil's work. That's why vigilance is required, and that's why when the Spirit of God leads us into desert times, we have to remember that it's for our necessity It's for our strengthening. God is exposing all of these other ways that have seeped into our lives and all the ways that we've given into the devil's temptations to change how we follow Jesus. This was required for Jesus, and it is required for you and for me here in our country, in our culture. A lot of good work is happening. And mingling consumerism And this good work into our walk with Jesus is an epidemic. Jesus said no to this temptation, and he backed it up with Scripture. Look at this one more time. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered the the tempter. He answered the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in this great rebuttal, Jesus refuses to do good things in the wrong way. He refuses to do the right things in the wrong way. Now listen, now listen to this. Jesus multiplies bread to feed 5,000 people later on in Matthew 14. In this gospel story, Jesus provides bread. He actually actually multiplies it for 5,000 people. Now here's the question. Where did the bread come from? Jesus started not with stones. He didn't start with stones in that spot, in that place, but with a few handmade loaves of day-old bread and a couple fish that someone shared with him. They offered it to him. It was personal. Instead of wielding his power over an inanimate object to create things, he took what was given to him in a relational way And then he prayed over the bread right there. He prayed over it with his disciples. He prayed over it with the crowd looking on. And then he started to pass it out. And here's the amazing thing about it. The miracle of multiplication actually passed through. It traveled through the hands of the disciples. It didn't all materialize right there as Jesus prayed over it. It just kept multiplying as the disciples handed it out. 
I want you to see that the crowd was in great need, that the disciples picked up baskets full afterwards of extra. Every part of this miracle, though, every part of it had a personal touch point. Every part of it had a relational component, a relational connection. Jesus had already passed the test long before in his own wilderness. The temptation to do a good thing in a depersonalized way, in a consumer-driven way, it's, it had already been rejected. And so he, that's why he could turn to the disciples and say, you, you can feed them. Let's see what you have. Listen, everybody, the devil's strategy is to tempt us, to try to define our, define our own needs in the wrong way, and to use impersonal and consumer, uh, consumer ways to follow Jesus. We have to reject it. We have to resist it. There's a lot of organizations that are doing a lot of good things. I don't want to minimize that. There's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good things, but they're doing it in a way that is depersonalized, carried on, carried out without love, without intimacy, or without participation. We cannot be a church like that. That is not the Jesus way. Listen, one chapel. We cannot do God's work in the devil's ways. <laughs> Listen, the devil has great ideas, brilliant ideas. But the devil is incapable of incarnation. He's incapable of becoming love personified, of embodying compassion. He cannot do that. The devil uses people to embody projects in functional consumerism rather than in personal relationships. You have to see the difference. We, have to, we can't be motivated by self-interest. We've got to be motivated by relational love so that everything we do is personal, is connected, is intimate. We are called to be different than the world. We are called to resist these temptations, to live by our consumerism. We are we are to be, live differently together. This is the church we want to be. We want to pass the test. Let's pass the test together. And I want you to join me. Even on these 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you haven't joined in to begin to just seek God and to stir up hunger and thirst in your heart, I want you to join me. Maybe you're watching this today and you've never understood what I'm talking about, and, and you're wrestling with how you've just been fueled by your own needs over and over again, and you've never looked to God in a personal way to meet those needs, I want to invite you to meet him today. I want to invite you to engage with him today, to let him into your heart, to let him into your life, to join with him in what he's doing. He has a life for you. He has a purpose. He has a plan. This life will be difficult. You need someone who will help you become an overcomer. That's Jesus himself, but you got to know him. It's got to be personal. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be genuine. I want to pray with you all over the place, wherever, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting. I, wanna, I want you to pray with me. Come on, let's pray together, church. Father, we come to you and we say, forgive us for thinking through the lens of our cultural consumerism, for thinking through the lens of convenience in everything we do. And even inside the church, even in our own approach to following Jesus, maybe we've, we've failed and we've allowed this idea 
of a depersonalized religion to dominate our hearts, that we've been religious and instead of relational. And forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for seeing church as an event rather than a people. Forgive us, Lord. We ask you to take us now, change our mindset, change our hearts. Lord, I pray for those of us who have struggled just to live life. And we want to we want to choose you today. So I pray for every person that's choosing you today, choosing you maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. Speak to them. Encourage them. Give them peace, which you promised. Give them a sense of, of the eternal life that comes in and lives within us. Help them to walk in the Jesus way and experience your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for leading us on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.